everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka the biggest supporter of Bring Bill to Bill. How you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm looking forward to this draft. Hopefully, like you just said, we can get some bill on bill action and bring Bradley to the 901. It's highly unlikely, but if we pull it off, I will be very excited. I just think that. If you're trying to go to a younger team or a team with potential, if you're not instantly just trying to join a super team, the Grizzlies are a great spot. They have a lot of great young talent. You can be the veteran. You have a chance to be the best player. I mean, it for me, it seems like it would be an easy choice to, at the very least, want to get out of Washington, especially if Russell Westbrook is traded, which, of course, we will get to later. But kicking things off, of course, we're going to talk some NFL. We are going to rank the top five offensive players by position because we do this every year. Then with regards to the NBA, of course, we are going to talk some of the latest trades to come down, the ones that actually took place, such as between the Pelicans and the Grizzlies and other trades that have been rumored, such as the Lakers and Russell Westbrook, which who knows, maybe while we're recording this, it will be made official. And then we're also going to give our bold predictions for this upcoming NBA draft. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So, like I mentioned, to kick things off, it's time to rank some offensive players, starting with quarterback. Ethan, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? All right, bet. So, you want to start at five or one? Five. All right, so starting off at five. Now, this is a disclaimer. I li- I made my list based solely off of play. This means I'm not putting off the field stuff because I don't know the full true facts. We None of us really knows what really happened, so I did not include that. So, just the disclaimer. So, number five, I have Josh Allen. Had a great third season. Looks to be on the come up. I think that a lot of excitement is there for him. But in terms of just comparing him to the other quarterbacks in the league, I can't really put him higher than five. I'm going to agree with you. Like, he had an amazing season. I'm also kind of nervous to see if this was just a one-off situation or is he going to continually progress. But if he shows that he's generally progressing, Most deaf. All right, number four is, in my opinion, Russell Wilson. I love Russ. You, the Seahawks were your favorite team for a long time. I know you're a big Russ fan, too. And, I mean, Russell Wilson is pretty much the prototypical quarterback you want in the league. He's mobile. He has a great arm. He can pretty much do everything except seem to have a great offensive line in front of him. But I think I got to go Russ at four. For me, I'm going with the man that defeats all the time apparently every year. I have to go with Tom Brady. And the reason I have him four and not higher is simply because he he's a great quarterback, but he isn't mobile. And in today's NFL, to be a truly great quarterback, in my opinion, you have to have some form of mobility. I don't know what you're talking about. Earlier today, he posted a video trying to boost his uh, Madden speed up, and he looked real 6'4". Man, he was slow. 
All right, uh, I much respect to Tom Brady. All right, number three for me, I'm going to Sean Watson. Like I said, I am looking at it from a purely football standpoint, and if you ask me, I believe he's the second-best quarterback in the AFC. I mean, unfortunately, he's the Texans are a hot mess of an organization, so his talents and abilities were wasted, but when he's on the field, he's an absolute difference maker. And who's to say he can't go any higher? I hear you on that. All right, number two, Aaron Rodgers coming off an MVP. Finally back with the Packers organization, which we'll get to later. I mean, what more needs to be said about A-Rod other than he's the man? And then number one, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, in terms of if I'm ranking careers, he would not be in the top five yet. He's great, but he would not be in my top five. But in terms of quarterbacks right now, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is the most electrifying player at the position, can make every single throw. The Chiefs have built a tremendous group around him, and I'm excited to see what the future holds. Knock on wood, it won't be them winning the Super Bowl or at least beating us to get there. But yeah, I gotta go, Patrick Mahomes. Number one, I'm going with Ryan Tannehill, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, yeah, you would lose all credibility if you said Ryan Tannehill. But like Ryan Tannehill, he had a hell of a year last year that doesn't get talked about. But no, all right, running back. I know you care about this position a lot, so you can start us off. see that uh number five i'm going dalvin cook he showed last season that when he is healthy he is one of if not well no i'm gonna stick it with one of the best running backs in the league i mean don't get me wrong the vikings had really great players at wide receiver as well but we know that kirk cousins is isn't necessarily trustworthy whereas dalvin cook showed that he can catch the ball great out of the backfield he's a ferocious runner he can do pretty much everything you want out of a back but the main question like i said is can he stay healthy All right, number four for me is Saquon Barkley. I know he's coming off the ACL, but I think that as if he's healthy and he's shown when he is healthy, he is one of the most explosive backs in the league. Pretty much everything I just said about Dalvin Cook, but I think that Saquon is better at doing all of those things. He really is a guy who can hit home runs at any given moment, and I'm excited to see what he can do healthy. He's a home run. 
I respect it. I understand. Number three for me is going to be Nick Chubb. He's a guy you don't really hear too much about, but he is, in my opinion, the heart of the Browns offense. When they look good, it's because Nick Chubb is balling. Nick Chubb is doing his job, mainly because there's questions about Baker's consistency, his relationship and chemistry with Odell. But one thing that is not in question is the fact that Nick Chubb is going to get his yards and he's going to be a big impact back. Which is fair, I mean, because let's be honest, Alvin Kamara is going to have to do that and then some for the Saints to be successful this year or at the very least for the start of the season with Michael Thomas out. All right, number two, I have Derrick Henry. Without a doubt, the most dominant back in the league. There's really no question about it. The only problem is he's more so one-dimensional. While he is a tremendous runner, he doesn't have the same skill set as a receiver out the backfield. Yes, he can catch passes, but that's not really his best attribute. And in today's NFL, we kind of talked about it with quarterbacks, but with running backs too, you have to be very multifaceted to be great. Is there any question that if you told me that he was number one, I would disagree with you? Absolutely not, because Derrick Henry is great. But in terms of just versatility, that is the one thing in his game that he lacks. I'd agree with that. As far as just solely just running the football, I don't think it's a lot of guys that impact the game that he does with his blend of size and speed. And the fact that he's just been durable for these past couple of years and just always continues to wear a defense down. So I got to know Derrick Henry at number one. Fair enough. And then number one for me, I'm going to say Christian McCaffrey. I know last season he wasn't healthy, but in every game he played last year, I want to say he scored at least one touchdown. I mean, in the Chiefs game, when he returned from missing, what, four or five games beforehand, he made that game competitive. He made the Panthers actually look like they could compete with the Chiefs, and that is what you get with a player like Christian McCaffrey. In addition to be one of the most elusive runners in the league, he also is a tremendous receiver out of the backfield. Like you mentioned, he's essentially a wide receiver in his own right, too. So I'm going to have to go CMC, especially because I feel like this year is going to be a redemption year, and with all the other pieces in Carolina I think that's going to help them out a lot all right wide receivers so starting off at number five I'm going Julio Jones 
Had it not been for nagging injuries that have kind of plagued him these last few years, there is no doubt that Julio Jones would be higher. I think that with the Titans, he's going to have a tremendous year just because you can't just focus on Julio. You have Derrick Henry. You have A.J. Brown. Hell, you even have Ryan Tannehill who can move around a bit too. And I think that with so many other pieces that you have to focus in on, I think that it's going to open up a lot of things for Julio. I could see that. I could definitely see that. I think that, especially with the recent years, I don't. I'm really trying to rack my brain about it, but I don't think in the last few years he's had more than five to seven touchdowns, which is wild. Think thinking of Julio Jones, but the thing is, he's just so dominant in everything else that he does that, like, even if he doesn't necessarily have the touchdowns, nobody questions his greatness. So, like you, like you said, it's really just a testament. Okay, so I'm looking at it now. Last year he had three, year before he had six, and a year before eight, and then three. So, yeah, he's only had one year with double-digit touchdowns, which is insane. All right, number, yeah, number four for me is Tyreek Hill. I mean, am I a Tyreek Hill fan? No, I am not. Personal, but personal beliefs aside, I mean, no one can doubt his impact on the field. If he gets maybe three feet of separation, it's over. I mean, his ability to just turn on the Jets is remarkable. And pairing that with a big-arm quarterback like Patrick Mahomes really is just a perfect combination. And I think that that's hard to stop as a wide receiver. Like, you can teach a lot of things, but you can't teach speed. We've heard that a billion and one times, but it is the truth, and that is really the case for Tyreek Hill. All right, number three for me is Stefan Diggs. I think prior to this past season, I think that Stefan got overlooked a lot for one reason or another. I think that people really just think about the Minneapolis miracle and they think, oh, okay, that's Stefan Diggs. No, Stefan Diggs has been a baller his whole career, but this past year with the Bills when he really was the if we're being honest, really the only real option on the outside just showcased how great he was as a number one wide receiver. And I'm excited to see what Stefan can do this upcoming year and in the years coming up.
Alright, so with the last two spots, it's not really a one and two. It's more so one A and one B, at least for me. So for me, with regards to one B, I'm going Devontae Adams. I know Devontae Adams was given the 99 overall distinction. Devontae Adams is a bad man. Please don't think I'm not saying that he is. But it for me, it always comes down to is Devontae Adams a bad man or is he bad with Aaron Rodgers? And I think that we've only really seen him with Aaron Rodgers, so it's hard to really answer that question. And so he had a tremendous year, had 18 receiving touchdowns, which was absolutely insane. But I still bang the drum for somebody else being the 1A wide receiver in the league. Yep, and so I'm guessing number one for you as well is D-Hop. I mean, people, Devontae Adams had a great year, but, I mean, D-Hop had more receiving yards. Yes, and they had the same amount of receptions, but D-Hop had more yards. Of course, his team didn't make the playoffs, so that will add to it too. But, I mean, D-Hop is really just one of the most impactful wideouts in the league. No, It seems like no matter who was under center, he is going to make plays and he is going to show he is a terrific talent. And, I mean, how many receivers in the league can you say that you've seen them have garbage throw to him and they still get the job done? I mean, D-Hop is really the personification of that, and I think that people like to forget it just because of recency bias. But DeAndre Hopkins is, in my opinion, still the 1A wide receiver in the league. Which literally like, happened against the Bills. Yeah. And it's like you don't have to you don't have to get put the ball in a perfect position when you have a DeAndre Hopkins. He's gonna figure out a way to get it. Whether he's gonna outbody you for it or whatever it was. So I have to give it to D Hop simply because it's like he makes like he makes uh, he makes quarterbacks better. Yeah. In the case of in the case of Devontae Adams, I 
Absolutely. All right, so tight ends, you starting us off. All right, tight ends. Um, number five, I'm going to go with TJ Hawkinson. I know that he doesn't have Matthew Stafford anymore, but I think that he's one of those guys that, regardless of who you have at quarterback, he's going to be a security blanket. Like, I can see Jared Goff looking at the roster, and he's like, okay, we don't have Kenny Galladay anymore. Um, I, we don't have Marvin Jones. Who do we have? Oh, we have TJ Hawkinson. And you can look up and you can see him being a top five level talent. This was tough for me because I had TJ Hawkinson originally, but I just changed it. I'm going to say Hunter Henry. Um, I think that these two are very close to each other in terms of ability and talent, but the reason I'm going Hunter, Hunter Henry, one is he's been doing it for a bit longer. This is going on his fifth NFL season, and I think that with the Patriots, let's be honest, their receiving core did not get exceptionally better this offseason. Nelson Aguilar had a great year with the Raiders, but, I mean, I think a lot of that was attributed to his ability to catch the deep ball. If Cam is the starter, we know that Cam really is not the best deep ball thrower, so I think a lot of plays are going to be run through the tight ends. And even with John New Smith there, I think a bulk of the receptions are going to go to Hunter Henry, so I think that he's going to be able to cement himself as one of the top tight ends in the league. number four this is why I have Mark Andrews I mean we all know Lamar is a is not the traditional quarterback he's not going to sling it 30 40 times a game he's not going to throw for 300 400 yards but when he does throw it more times than not when big plays happen it is to Mark Andrews I mean Mark Andrews is a guy who seemingly catches everything no matter is who no matter who's on him I mean he's almost always open and I think that as a Ravens fan, in terms of our pass catching and seeing what Mark Andrews has done throughout his career, he's my—he's the person who, if I need to catch, I know I can go to Mark Andrews. And, I mean, he's been like that his whole career. That was also his calling card when he was at Oklahoma. So I got to go Mark Andrews at four. For me, I actually have Mark Andrews at three for everything that you just stated. Like, he, as far as the passing attack for the Ravens, he was there and then some last year. Like, we both know that Lamar didn't have great weapons outside. He also, for the time being, hasn't shown that he's been a great option as far as making passes outside the numbers. So, I got to throw Mark Andrews at 
Yeah. Uh, for me at three, this is where I have Darren Waller. I mean, just for everything that you said, um, don't get me wrong. I think that with Darren Waller, he has really reinvented himself from who he originally was when he first got drafted in Baltimore, where he was a receiver. And then he changed positions. Now a tight end has been doing a hell of a job. And if you ask me, I would make the argument that he's their best offensive player. So I think that he has reinvented re invented himself in Las Vegas and I think that even especially with the losses that they had this offseason at wide receiver I think that this can be an even bigger year for him and then at number two this is where I have George Kittle I know that there is dispute between him and Travis Kelsey as to who's better but if you ask me Kelsey's number one but with George Kittle I mean he's coming off of an injury which I think that will probably play a bit of a role just into him getting back into playing shape. Not to mention, he doesn't have the best quarterback situation, or at least when it, in comparison to Travis Kelsey. Still, what makes Kittle such a dynamic piece is one, he's a terrific blocker. He has great hands. He can make just about any play that you want a tight end to make. And I think that's what makes him one of the most special guys in the league. So for me, I'm going to keep the train going on having two people who qualify as on position. I have Travis Kelsey and George Kittle as the number one tight end for different reasons. Um, Travis Kelsey, he is the epitome of the modern-day tight end that is a big receiver. He's a Chris Brown runner. He has great hands. He's too fast for a wide. He's too fast for a linebacker, but he's too big for a DB. As far as George Kittle, He's not as great as a receiver as Travis Kelsey, but he makes up for for his versatility. Like you said, in my opinion, he's the best blocking tight end in the NFL, and he's a great receiver. And he's also one of those guys that I feel like he's just a football player, and he can make plays all around the field, whether it's like you can put George Kittle in the backfield, and I can see him being successful. So... Most def, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head with Killer Trav. So I'm sorry, Travis Kels. That's gonna be such an adjustment. He's probably just gonna be Kelsey from now on. He he's Kelsey now. But all right, offensive lineman for me, starting off with number five. Um, this is just offensive line as a whole. I'm going to say the Dallas Cowboys. Last year was not necessarily best year, but injuries pretty much plagued them. I think that having Tyron Smith coming back, you're getting a great Zach Martin, who has just been a standout guard since he's been in the league. And then Lyell Collins, I think that that's really going to help things out. Connor Williams is continuing to progress. So I think the Dallas Cowboys offensive line is going to be able to carry its weight, and I got them at five. Yeah, I also have them at five. I think that they suffered from a lot of injuries last year. And now that they have their guys back healthy, they are the top unit that they used to be in the past, but I think they're still top five. All right, so number four for me is the San Francisco 49ers. Um, I mean, you have arguably the best left tackle in the league with Trent Williams. They locked him up. Um, oh, my gosh, their right tackle, who they got – from Notre Dame a few years ago. I'm going to remember his name when I do not care. He has continued to get better, and then you just kind of retool, bringing in other guys in free agency. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the 49ers offensive line is one of the groups that definitely on that team is not broken. Um, for me, number four, I have the Tennessee Titans. They, we have Taylor LeJuan back in healthy. We have Roger Staffo, who I feel like is one of the more underrated offensive linemen. We have Ben Jones. 
being in right tackle. But I think that they have a unit that has been together for a couple of years now, and they feel continuity. And also, I think that they're going to be they're going to be a little bit more hungrier than they were in years past, simply because they had a 2,000 yard rusher, and nobody was on the Pro Bowl from the offensive line. And I think that this year they're going to come in and try to make a statement. And hey, at the very least, uh, I think Dylan, right? I can't think of his last name. He hasn't gone crazy yet. Last time y'all spent high on a right tackle, he looked like he was going crazy. So, so far, so good in Nashville. Uh, for me, at number three, I have the Kansas City Chiefs. This is more so, you guys better be good. Just considering how much money they have put into their offensive line. They made that big trade for Orlando Brown to be their new left tackle. Gave uh, Joe Thune a lot of money. They brought in Kyle Long. They're supposed to be getting Laurent uh, Duvernay back um, after he opted out last season. So their offensive line looks to be completely rebuilt because they saw their... $50 million a year quarterback get thrown around like a rag doll during the Super Bowl, and nobody wants to see that. So I have them three mainly because they better be a top unit. Yeah, I have the Kansas City Chiefs also because, like you just stated, they spent a lot of money on this line. And they also have some great pieces on this line, and I think that this is one of those situations where it's like, look, we paying y'all to protect Patrick Mahomes. Get the job done for y'all. Now, I won't necessarily say that they're going to be gone, but it's going to be some repercussions to pay. So I got to go with KC simply because of like the overall talent on that line. Yeah, most def. All right, number two, I have the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, they've been great for the last three, four years. Ironically, they get great after uh, – Andrew Luck, well, actually, they had that great year, his last year, and then they've just been great since he retired. So, I mean, not really much more to say about the Colts. They just get the job done, and Quinn Nelson is a big reason for that. I mean, he's the best guard in the league. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. As much as I hate the Colts, you know, being a Titans fan. Understandable. But uh, they get the job done, and Quinn Nelson is a freaking agent. Most definitely. And number one for me, this is one of my divisional opponents. I can't necessarily say I hate them, but, you know, don't want them to beat me. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, I mean, talk about a group that has gotten better in the last couple of years. A couple of years ago, arguably they had the worst offensive line in football, and then with the moves of getting, uh, with drafting Jedrick Wills, Wyatt Teller really coming on, Jack Conklin has done a fine job at right tackle. Um, Joel Patino has been really good. I mean, they've really just remade their offensive line, and it has helped out their offense tremendously. I, I got to agree with you with Cleveland. I was trying to think of any other team that I could have in this spot. But, I mean, they put the work in. Like you said, like they were one of the worst units a couple years ago. They signed a couple guys. They put in the work together. And now they're one of the best units in the league, if not probably the best, honestly. I might, some part of me might flip them in the coach. But I got to go with Cleveland because it's like Baker doesn't really get sad. Like you saw, you saw evidence of it last season because the big thing with him is like once the pocket collapsed, he got scared. And I feel like he was 
was in a clean pocket for a lot of the time last season. And when you have that two-headed monster running back, like, you have to look at the O-line. Like, it's not just Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on everything on their own. Yeah. No problem. I got to agree with you in Cleveland. All right, most def. Now, if we're talking top five players at a position, he may not be top five in the league right now, but damn sure was top five when he was a Memphis Tiger. Anthony Miller, who last week it was announced that uh, the Chicago Bears traded the former second-round pick to the Houston Texans uh, in exchange for late-round picks. So, um, I know you're a Memphis football fan. You know quite a bit about Anthony Miller as well. Do you think that this is going to be the move that helps to reinvigorate his career? Um, no. And the reason I say this is because I hate to connect the dots and put situations with players, but we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. Like, I'm going to just solely look from the legal aspect, I'm going to put that to the side for the time being. It just came out like maybe a week or two ago that the Texans are winning a trade for this Washington. Who's to say a team like, let's say Denver, pops up out of nowhere, says, hey, we'll give you Drew Locke and some picks and somebody else for Deshaun Washington. And he's gone. I think if Deshaun Washington stays in Houston, it might be able, they might be able to revitalize Anthony Miller's career. Yeah, I feel that. I think that while, I mean, like I said, we're both fans of Anthony Miller, I think what hurts him is the Texans are a team that really has no direction. And I could see Deshaun Watson being on the move as well. Either way, I don't really think he plays a snap for the Texans this year. But I do think that it, it kind of helps that Randall Cobb got traded, which we'll get to later. But, I mean, it's still just like – it's still the Texans. It's still not a team that really is inspiring much faith right now. But I think that in terms of – they have Brandon Cooks, who is the undisputed number one wide receiver. But, I mean, after that, there's a lot of opportunities for him to show what he can do. Uh, potentially, Nico Collins, who they got in the third round, could maybe make some noise. But realistically, I think that your best bet is a mill to be that number two wide receiver. So I hope it works out for him. And if worse comes to worse, I mean, he can leave, uh, I want to say after this year, because he'll be a free agent. But all right, so that was the only real trade. But quite a few players have announced their displeasure, or at least news has come out about their displeasure with their current teams. One of those being... Uh, Chandler Jones, the all-pro pass rusher, uh, missed most of last season with the injury, but when he has played, he has been a monster. And it came out early this week that he had requested a trade from the Arizona Cardinals this offseason per sources. Jones has been unhappy with his contract and future with the team. The Cardinals don't want to trade him and expect him to be there at camp, but who's to say what can happen in the future? So, Ethan, let's say they do make Chandler Jones available not being biased, what team would you think would be the best fit to go after him? Um, I'll give you two. They're in the same division. Your Ravens and the Steelers. We don't want that. I, I respect the Steelers. I don't want to see T.J. Watt and Chandler Jones coming after me. I don't want it. And I know... Lamar can move, but that's that's a lot to give to one person. But yeah, I'm actually gonna say Baltimore. Reason being, 
um, it was talks to them going after uh, Justin Houston. That really hasn't happened. And they're really, in terms of their ends, they're relying on a lot of youth. I mean, Odafe Owe, who we got out of Penn State, is going to be a guy to look at. Daylon Hayes, who we got in the fifth round out of Notre Dame, is another guy. But, I mean, we're pretty young, especially with losing uh, Yannick Ngakwe and Matt Judon in free agency. So I think that in terms of helping to improve our pass rush, Chandler Jones is a perfect fit, not just because he's a terrific player, but also he fits pretty much what the Ravens like to do. We like getting those older veterans, the prove guys and then helping remake their careers case in point just last year with getting Calais Campbell we did it with Steve Smith we've done it with so many guys over the years and I think that Chandler Jones would really fit into that mold all right another player who um, expressed their displeasure with their team was Xavier Howard who pinned a open letter on Instagram and posted on Instagram talking about the relations with the team and simply said we wanted to work we wanted things to work out with the Dolphins and brought solutions to the table like guaranteeing more money that we felt like was win-wins for both sides. These were proposals of adjustments that wouldn't just make me feel more respected but were also cap-friendly. But the Dolphins refused everything we proposed. And even though he said he will be attending camp, because he doesn't want to get fined, he wants to be traded. So let's say that the Dolphins really do trade Xavier Howard. Who should be on that? I mean, they still have that one from because they only trade the two for Julio, so that all makes sense. Yeah. Um, I would say the Arizona Cardinals also. And just for the sake of making a super team on defense, I said up on Los Angeles Rams. If they could do that, that would just be not fair um for me though i'm actually going to say the new orleans saints cornerback was a really big position um that we talked about going into the nfl draft and they hit on it with paulson adebo but that's really it they didn't really have much cap flexibility in order to make any big splash moves for free agents so with that being said i think that with bringing in xavian howard and the influx of cap space that they're going to have next year not to mention their cornerback group right now is a bit suspect i mean in just about every area, I think that it makes a lot of sense to make that move happen. So if I was them, that's what I would do. All right, and one last player, you mentioned him earlier, Deshaun Watson, who the Texans, like you mentioned, are now willing to listen to trade offers. However, the price is going to be pretty steep. Um, they want a player of his caliber and should, and also they would like three first round picks or more. So, Realistically, who could you see making the trade to go after Deshaun Watson? Um, given what they quote unquote ask for, nobody. And the reason I say nobody is because they aren't going to receive they aren't going to receive a quarterback that's similar to his caliber. Like Deshaun Watson's a top ten quarterback. If you all the teams that have top ten level quarterbacks, they aren't looking to trade for Deshaun Watson. But if I were to say a team, I would say the Denver Broncos are one. Um, who's to say the, the San Francisco 49ers, they pulled the, pulled the trigger 
Now, I know I just said the Saints going after Xavier Howard, but this is something I could see maybe the Dolphins do. If they're really not totally sold on to a then this could be opportunity to trade Tua, trade Xavier Howard, maybe throw a one or a two in there, and then you get your quarterback of the future. Because in my opinion, it's pretty much Josh Allen, and then it's like a runaway with regards to the other quarterbacks, mainly because Tua is unproven, Zach Wilson is a rookie, and Cam is Cam, and we don't really know what's going on with Mac Jones yet. So because of that, I think that if the Dolphins really want to compete, especially because this isn't necessarily one of the more competitive divisions, it's really if you defeat the Bills, you can win the division. And so if I was Miami, this would be something that I would look into. Of course, you want to make sure everything was on the up and up with regards to the legal matters. But if everything was on the up and up, if I'm Miami, I would do it in a heartbeat. But um, another thing that happened this week, Madden rankings are starting to be announced. I kind of mentioned a few of the 99 overalls, but probably next week we'll look into that more. But one player unhappy with their Madden ranking is Tyreek Hill, who after receiving a 98 said, I should definitely be a 99. I'm the best in the game, baby. To which his quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, replied, give that man his 99 rating. So... Should Tyreek Hill really be a 99 overall in Madden? Honestly, I say no. And I think 98 is a bit high, too. No. I can see him being 96. But 99? Nah. Because, like, yes, he's a great receiver, but I don't put him in the stratosphere of the Devontae Adams. Um, um, crap, we just said it now. DeAndre Hopkins. Like, those are, in my opinion... Those are only two receivers that should even come close to or to his 99. Yeah, and I don't think he's that. And truthfully, I he's higher than Stephon Diggs. But like I said, I would put Stephon Diggs ahead of him in terms of overall wide receiver ability. Tyreek Hill is definitely a game changer. But in terms of being a wide out, I, don't, I wouldn't put him at a 99. But speaking of somebody who should be a 99, Aaron Rodgers, who after months and months, is finally back with the Green Bay Packers, but not before he dropped a pipe bomb that the NFL has yet to see a quarterback or really any player do on their team. Simply put, here are a few of the biggest notes of things he said. He said, Green Bay isn't a huge vacation destination. People are coming here to play with me and this team. He mentioned, I'm not a victim here. It's a business. It's an incredible opportunity to play this game, but it's a tough business too. I totally get that, and this, that is not lost on me. That's why I'm going to play this season and see what happens. Um, he talked about the team cutting Jake uh, Kumaro, which he was very upset about, if you remember, talking about if you're going to cut a guy who was the second best wide receiver in our training camp last year, run it by me. And he mentioned multiple times that he wanted things to come through him. Decisions made about the team, he wanted to come through him, which is understandable. And it seems like progress is already starting to be made. Fan favorite and a favorite target of Aaron Rodgers. Randall Cobb was traded back to Green Bay um, just a couple of days ago. The Packers traded a 2022 six-round pick to the Texans in response to get Randall Cobb. With Houston um, is expected to play $3 million of Cobb's salary to make the trade happen. This is all fine and dandy, but Aaron Rodgers is back. But what now? Do you think that with Aaron Rodgers back, 
that the Packers are good, they should be seen as Super Bowl contenders, or is it still going to be the same issues that the Packers have had? And so I think that I agree. I think that this is pretty much a rental year because, I mean, Devontae Adams said that he didn't want to sign a deal that wouldn't make him the highest paid wide receiver, which I respect, especially coming off of the past couple of years he's had. So who's to say he's going to stay? Who's to say that Aaron is going to say? Who's to say that a lot of guys are going to want to be there? I think that if this year is another disappointment or if the Packers just get back to that same thing where they're not really listening to A-Rod, I could definitely see this being it for the Packers and then them going into rebuild mode. But all right, let's play a quick game of Believable or Buffoonery NFL Edition, starting with Sam Darnold. Now, of course, all the talk has been talking about Tom Brady returning to New England to face the Patriots. Well, he's not the only uh, AFC East castaway to be facing his former team. Sam Darnold was asked about the week one matchup against the New York Jets, to which he said, when you put the pads on, it starts to get real, and you visualize that first week and winning the first game. The fact that it's the Jets, that's just a coincidence, but that's never changed for me. It's the next opponent for us. That's my mindset. So, believable or buffoonery, Sam Darnold really does not see any special meaning in facing the Jets week one. agree with that and I mean especially because just a few years ago you were drafted to be the guy you were supposed to be the one to come fix the organization and they really didn't give you much help to fix it and then the new guy comes around and they seem like they want to do their jobs not to mention they like you mentioned the media tore that man apart and so I think that I don't think that Sam Darnold is going to go into the game and just be like, I'm going to get 500 passing yards. I want to destroy you. But I think that beating the Jets is going to be something that he wants to do. I think that it's going to be if I don't beat anybody else, I want to beat the Jets. All right, next up, let's talk about someone who didn't necessarily have the most wins in his career, but is a surefire Hall of Famer. Uh, Calvin Johnson, a.k.a. Megatron, who was asked about his Hall of Fame induction speech, which if you guys didn't know, next Thursday, literally a week from now, is the Hall of Fame game and the start of the NFL preseason. Uh, He was asked about his speech and said, I'm not going to mention everybody. As far as the Lions, hey, I got nothing to say. 
So, believable or buffoonery, Calvin Johnson would be wrong for not missing the Lions at all in his Hall of Fame speech. agree with that i mean after that it's pretty much I, I get not really wanting to be like wow thank you so much detroit i love you blah 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 but yeah like at least just thanks for the opportunity to show that megatron was the man i mean that would be cool just to say nothing is kind of kind of foul all right speaking of one of those quarterbacks gardner Minshew, who is already a cult classic in himself. Talked about his quarterback competition with Trevor Lawrence and said, in preparation for the competition, I haven't taken a number two in weeks. Number two isn't an option for me. So believable or buffoonery, Gardner Minshew has a real shot at starting for the Jaguars this season. I'm calling buffoonery. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery also. I like, I like Minshew, but no, nah, I don't think it's happening. All right, next up. Um, Dominique Foxworthy on Get Up ESPN said, I think Miami could certainly surprise some people and jump over both the Pats and the Bills and win that division. So, believable or buffoonery, with the Dolphins roster right now, they will win the AFC East. I'm calling buffoonery. Uh, nah. I think it's the Bills division to lose. Yeah, agreeance with you on that. All right, moving on to Kelvin Benjamin. We talked about a few weeks ago that he had signed with the uh, New York Giants for the opportunity to play tight end, but that seemed to all come crashing down yesterday after he got into a heated discussion with um, head coach Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman, the team's GM. Following that incident, he said, uh, of Joe Judge, he's not a coach that can ever win a Super Bowl because he sits there and cusses all day. He's a know-it-all. That's not how it's supposed to work. We can all learn from each other. We're all humans at the end of the day. The true colors will come out. So, believable or buffoonery, Kelvin Benjamin blew his last shot at an, joining an NFL team. I think he did. I don't, and I don't really think it's because of his rant that he went on because I think he had some his value and what he said in his rant. But I just think that his, given his history of coming to training camp out of shape, being a guy that didn't seem to put the work, the effort to put the work in that you need to be to be a productive NFL wide receiver, that's what blew his opportunity. Not this incident with Joe Judge. Because, I mean, like, I feel like there might be a lot of issues that a lot of players have with some of these coaches nowadays. He's just not on the roster, so he can, he has the freedom to say what he feels. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think that that is kind of what hurt him the most. Not because, like you said, I think that you have the right to say what you want to say, especially because if you feel like you're being disrespected, you, you're not – 
you don't have to sit there and take the disrespect. So I don't think that's the issue, but I think that it's just it's already hard enough to make the NFL. And so especially with somebody like him who really had that one great year as a rookie and then after that just kind of floundered, I think that's really the toughest part. All right, next up, Calvin Johnson, one of the most entertaining players to ever put on an NFL jersey, uh, tweeted at the Saints um, and said, at Saints, hear me out. Even years removed, I'm still in better shape than 90% of these earthlings and can play until my guy at can't guard my aka michael thomas comes back don't need money or contract just a company car and a place to stay so believable or buffoonery the saints should give chad johnson a shot uh, i think they should at least do his preseason to see where he is yeah like like the reality is their best receiver is injured for the foreseeable future they don't have any depth at wide receiver. Why not insert Ocho Cinco just to see? And, like, you don't even have to guarantee him playing throughout the season, but just give him a shot at training camp to see if he can make the roster. If he makes the roster, he makes the roster. Yeah. But why not? You don't have that many other options at wide receiver anyway. Yeah. You literally have nothing to lose in this situation. Um, yeah, so at the very least, I would just have him in just to be another body because right now they signed Chris Hogan, but, I mean, after that, it's really not much else really going on at the receiving group to inspire much excitement. So, yeah, no, if I was them, I'd definitely – I'd say why not. And it's plus not you got to give them a whole bunch of money either. All right, so this one is not believable or buffoonery, but it's which is more likely – Two AFC North teams, the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns, in recent interviews, talked about the prospect of winning the championship. And we are going to ask question, which team is more likely to do it? Or better yet, which team are you taking more seriously as a Super Bowl contender? Starting with Odell Beckham Jr., who uh, recently did an interview where he talked about Cleveland and said, Cleveland needs a championship, and I think that's the goal, and that's the mentality in the Browns building. I want to be a part of it. He also added, um, I think that there's something special going on with the Browns this season. Then, turning to Baltimore, Lamar Jackson on the Ravens podcast talked about the team, his hopes of winning a Super Bowl, and said this, If we win the Super Bowl, I'm going to number one. I want the number one. That's my first number ever. My dad told me, get number one because that's the best. You're the best, and it's always stuck with me. So, between the Browns and the Ravens, which team are you seeing more like a Super Bowl contender? It's 
question marks alongside Lamar Jackson. Like, yes, he's been this transcendent figure and polarizing figure in the NFL, but is he is still question marks about him throwing outside the numbers? Like, is he only attacking the middle of the field? They have a very predictable, predictable offense, and it's been recorded as being such. And it's like, I think in the case of the further in the postseason you get, like if teams are able to hone in on things from you, then you really are being one-dimensional. So I would have to go with the Ravens because at least they, I mean, not the Ravens, the Browns, because they can at least have a multi-faceted offense. In this instance, this is not me being biased at all, but I'm going Baltimore. Main reason being consistency. I think that what tends to happen with the NFL is we see one thing or at least one year, and then we're like, yes, this is it. We've seen it with the 49ers. We're seeing it with the Browns now. Hell, we saw it a couple years ago when the Browns first got Odell and everybody lost their freaking minds. I think that what what people need to understand is while the Browns had a great year last year and they did make the playoffs and they did win a playoff game, the question is can you consistently do it? While they did get better on defense, particularly like the John Johnson signing, I love that. But it's still going to take time for their defense to get that chemistry. And speaking of chemistry, we know Nick Chubb is the man. We know Kareem Hunt is a great running back. But What's up with Baker? Can you trust Baker? Can he really get chemistry with his wideouts not named Jarvis Landry and Rashad Higgins? It's been two, three years now with Odell, and we really have not seen that. It doesn't seem like he also has that chemistry with uh, Austin Hooper either. And so while I 100% agree that in terms of just doing what they do, they do a great job of it. But it's another thing when you're going up against other great teams. We saw it against the Chiefs where, because when Patrick Mahomes was in that game, they were getting their butts kicked. We've seen it against Baltimore. In that time since Lamar has been starting, they have never beaten them. They just got over the hump of the Steelers most recently, but even that's still going to be tough. So I'm going Baltimore mainly just because of being consistent. This will not be the first time they're trying to string together multiple years in the playoffs. This will not be the first time that they're hearing the hype. This is not the first time that they're trying to hit those expectations. The expectations that Baltimore have and the expectations that Cleveland have are very different things. And in the past, Cleveland has not been able to hit those expectations. So with regards to that, that's the biggest reason why I'm going Baltimore. But all right, let's move on. Let's talk the NBA. Admittedly, one of my bold predictions has already come to fruition because I was going to say Scotty Barnes goes in the four top four picks, and he just did. Kind of surprised, but I'm not mad at it. But let's go ahead and break down some trades. We were going to start off with the Pelicans and Grizzlies, but as you can probably guess, we're, we're going to change gears a bit and talk about Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers because it has officially been confirmed. As of right now, I do not have the um, all of the uh, pieces. Actually, a lot. Yes, I do. So here's what happened. Uh, Russell Westbrook and a 2024 second round pick and a 2028 second round pick are going to Los Angeles in exchange for the Lakers sending Kyle Kuzma, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and the 22nd overall pick to the Wizards. So let's break down this trade a bit. You like it, 
you don't like it, winners, losers, what do you think? I, I honestly think the winners are the Washington Wizards. And the reason I say this is because we both are under the assumption that this is a team that's trying to rebuild. So the only way that you rebuild properly in the NBA is you get young players and you get draft picks. And they did that. As far as the Los Angeles Lakers, yes, they they got a big name point guard in Russell Westbrook. But I don't think that his his playing style fits with what they need in Los Angeles. He's a guy that is a streaky shooter, isn't the greatest of shooters. He's also a guy that needs the ball in his hands alongside you pairing him up with another guy, LeBron James, who needs the ball in his hands. And who are you going? What shooters are you going to pair around them? Like you just traded Contavious Caldwell Pope. He was one of your better three point shooters last year. Um, like if you're going to have a starting front court with Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond, like Anthony Davis, yes, he's capable of shooting threes, but he's not a knockdown three point shooter. I think that you just you. Them getting Westbrook, it kind of created the bigger, a more issue than it did help. Because it's like, now you really don't have any spacing. You're going to be a paint-dominant team, and it's like, when you need to make outside shots, who's going to be the person that makes them? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in 100% agreement with you. I am a Lakers fan. You all know, I'm a Lakers fan. They're my favorite team, and my favorite player is Russell Westbrook. But this is a textbook definition of why your favorite player should not always go to your favorite team for everything that you just mentioned. Because it it creates more problems. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here and saying that we should have kept Kuzma or we should have kept KCP or we should have kept Montrezl Harrell. Keeping those guys, in my opinion, is not – like, we're not going to cry about losing those cats. But what I do think is a bit problematic is we need shooting. And our problem was when um, – when KD, I'm not KD, when AD and LeBron were not on the court, we struggled mightily. And while I love Russell Westbrook, he is my guy. I am going to get a Westbrook Lakers jersey. Don't get it twisted. But realistically, what does he really provide in what we messed up, what we needed? He is a great facilitator, but even still, his shooting is a bit streaky. Like you said, he's a very, his best plays come when he is slashing, when he is driving the ball to the hoop as opposed to just shooting. And so because of that, we still have that problem. So unless we're really going to get become big spenders in free agency and go after shooters like maybe a Will Barton or maybe even look at a cat like a Kelly Oubre or Otto Porter Jr. if he's healthy, realistically, I don't love this trade. But, you know... I get it because they want to get a veteran point guard. But, I mean, you and I talked about it last week where we ranked the best point guard fits, and we both had Russ at four. And so I don't love the fit. And I understand they want to be aggressive, but I don't see this being a move that tremendously boosts the Lakers roster. I don't think that this makes them way better than they were a year ago. And I hate to say it, but it's the truth. I was just going to say, and to be honest, they could have went after Chris Paul and not have to make a trade. Honestly. Because Chris Paul, because Chris Paul had a, has a player option that he could have declined to sign with Los Angeles. 
Yeah. And he's a better fit. He's a more competent shooter. And I think that something that he can bring that I think Westbrook doesn't bring necessarily is he's a really high IQ player. Yeah. Like, yes, Westbrook, he has a great amount of IQ, but he's nowhere near the level of Chris Paul because the, re- because the fact that Westbrook plays at 150 miles an hour, he makes he can make bad plays just as much as he can make a good play. And that could present, like, having that play style within a championship aspiration of a team, I don't think they mesh well because if you're in a situation where the possessions are being um, are being very limited towards the end of the game, do you want to have a guy in Russell Westbrook that might drive to the hole and cause a turnover because he's trying to force up a layup or something like that versus having a guy in Chris Paul that assess the situation, know how much time is up on the clock, know what type of play that he has to run, and all of those things that Chris Paul does. So I don't it, – it's just a weird fit. It's a very weird fit, and it's like – it was one of – Russ to the Lakers was one of those things like I heard. I'm like, that really wouldn't make any sense. And even now seeing it, I'm like, this really doesn't make any sense. But, I mean – Maybe it'll work out, but like I said, I just don't see this being a move that makes them tremendously better. But all right, let's talk about another big trade. Uh, The Pelicans and the Grizzlies communicated, got some things done. Uh, The Pelicans will receive Jonas Valanciunas, the 17th overall pick and the 51st overall pick, in exchange for Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and the 10th overall pick. Um, It's already been reported that Eric Bledsoe more than likely will not be staying with the Grizzlies. He could be on the move tonight. So what are your thoughts on this trade? Um, As far as this trade goes, I hate to see Giannis leave. He was one of my favorite players on the Grizzlies. Actually, to my opinion, this past season, he was the second best player on the team. And honestly, he was the most consistent player on the team. But to... Be realistic, this trade makes a lot of sense. Going into this offseason, I knew that it was a couple players that were attached that would be very attractive in the um, trade market. One of them being Giannis Valachunas, the other one being Kyle Anderson. Simply because these are guys that have expiring contracts and they're guys that you can, that are capable players. Like Giannis Valachunas, in my personal opinion, might have been, you know, the fifth fifth to tenth best center in the NBA. So I think that it makes perfect sense that he he got traded. And I think that getting Steven Adams and Eric Blackstone, I think those are the type of moves that you make to potentially get another player. Like who's to say they don't pair up some players and um they don't pair up some guys and then make a push to get another star caliber player because the reality is I don't see Eric Bledsoe staying on the team that long and I don't I can see Steven Adams maybe being on the team simply to fill a void that we're needing but as far as the Pelicans go this kind of um, fits the whole category of like they don't have any direction in my opinion because your best player is Ian Williamson dominate and Jonas Valanciunas, he dominates the paint also. So it's still, it's still the same issue 
Yeah, I hear you on that front. I just think that with regards to Zion, I mean, him and Jonas, they're going to be playing the same area, which you mentioned, so I 100% agree with that. I think that Eric Bledsoe pretty much was just a player that they really had no use for even while he was there. And so I think that it's kind of just a testament of they were willing to kind of similar to the Brock Osweiler trade from the Texans a while back where they're willing to give up a good pick in order to get rid of a guy. And that's pretty much the case for what happened with this trade. Um, I like Steven Adams being with the uh, Grizzlies, even though he doesn't necessarily have the as well run of a skill set as Jonas Valanciunas who really fit in what the Grizzlies were trying to do. I do still like that fit. And I think that there are some good things that can really come with it. Um, kind of talking about a couple other play trades. We're going to run through this because we got uh, some other stuff to hit on before the show ends. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers acquired Minnesota Timberwolves guard Ricky Rubio for and a second round pick for cast considerations um, for forward Teron Prince. And also Brooklyn has traded guard Landry Schmidt to the Phoenix Suns for Javon Carter in the 29th pick in tonight's draft. And all right, to close out the show, here are my NBA draft bold predictions. And I mentioned earlier in the show that my first one of the um, Scotty Barnes going to the top four came to fruition. So we'll see about the next one. Uh, my other one was between the top 10, I mean, top 12 picks, there will not be a trade. And so far, I'm not wrong. We're right now, uh, we're currently at the 10th pick, which as we all know, uh, belongs to the Memphis Grizzlies. So you never know. Maybe I'll be right. Maybe there won't be any trades. And then my final uh, mock draft was I said that Ben Simmons will be traded at some point of draft night. Hasn't happened yet, but who knows. But all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for school sports content written by yours truly and fellow X-Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X-Report. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Wait. I lied. Before I leave, be on the lookout for our NBA free agency predictions. Yes, every year we bring those bad boys out and they're coming. Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, just to name a few guys. Where do we want them to go? Where do we think they'll go? Well, you're going to have to stay tuned and find out. Free agency starts August 2nd and that will be coming up soon. So once again, thank you guys for listening. See you all next time.